in that moment, I, I remember it like <laughs> got shivers down my spines in a in a good way as I tell you the story. The tears just streamed down me, and I felt her love for me, and also her desperation in her predicament from the wording of the letter. She was clearly in a very low place. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and you're about to hear from Simon. He called me from the United Kingdom. Simon knew he was adopted from as early as he can remember. When he finally decided to search for his birth mother, he had a flash of anger about the toy the woman left him. But when he learned of her situation and heard another birth mother's perspective that his anger was likely misguided, he quickly changed course to empathizing with his birth mother. Listen to Simon's efforts to support other adoptees and his desire to change prevailing narratives in adoption. This is Simon's journey. Simon learned he was adopted before he was two years old. He said he had no challenges related to adoption growing up as a kid. The only story he told me was one of mild jealousy for his younger sister, who was adopted after himself. When the family of three went to pick up their new addition, the young lady was gifted a new blanket, but Simon didn't get one, and he was upset. Simon said people have asked him over the years whether he wanted to find his real mom and dad, but he always says his adoptive parents are his real parents. They're the ones who raised him, and he's attached to them. I asked Simon about similarities and differences between himself and his parents. So my dad was the entrepreneur, breadwinner, business-focused guy, really kind of like very uh, on that. And my mum was the more, you know, traditional nurturing type. You know, we had some, we had ups and downs, I guess. I thought perhaps, you know, my dad was very focused on the on the business side, as guys tend to tend to be, and I I became that as well. Mm. Uh, I still am that. Yeah, mm. I'm a white guy adopted by white folks. You know, mm. so uh, do I look like them? Not really, but not very dissimilar. I do remember a, a time when I was about maybe 14, 15, We were away. We were on holiday, and we were in a, like a bar cafe during the day playing pool on at the back of the beach this was in um uh, malta one of the we used to go to malta a lot it's like a, it's an island in the mediterranean so my dad went there on national service in the in the royal air force uh, and we often went you know we bought he bought a flat over there and we used to go every year and th- anyway an older bloke made eye contact with me and then my dad as we were standing around the pool table waiting for our turn to pull and and the guy said that's your dad isn't it to me and I kind of looked at I looked at my dad and my dad kind of winked I think and I winked back at him and yeah so yeah. you know we we're about the same size well my dad died about four years ago we're we're about the same size like five ten mm-hmm. similar kind of build do we look each like each other not really do we look dissimilar not really mm-hmm. yeah family ish family ish yeah, yeah close enough I'm with you one hundred percent we had the same 
sort of family makeup in my my family. I'm sort of middle brown. My mom is light brown. My dad was dark brown. So we kind of looked like we were family. And if somebody asked, we would do the same thing. You kind of look at each other and smile and wink and say, yeah, that's my dad. You know, so I'm with you. That's really cool. How about how you got along with your sister? This is another adoptee. And, you know, so you're not entirely like your parents. And then you've got another person who comes from another family. How did you and your sister get along? Uh, good and bad, really. You know, I'd had some fallings out with her and we didn't, we didn't fight much. We didn't fight, go at each other, hammer and tongue or anything like that. She's quite different to me now. You know, she's got a different outlook on life. She's got a different take on Like me and my wife haven't got any kids. She's got, she's got three kids. So she's, she lives a different lifestyle and, um, yeah, we're very kind of very different, pe- uh, very different people. So I've really rushed headlong into self-awareness, you know, that sort of stuff. And she's not, she's not like that. Yeah, I understand. How about your mom? How'd you get along with your mom? Yeah, mom's great. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I got on, I got on, I got on well with my mom. She's very empathetic kind of person. So I, I sometimes tell the tale about I, I got knocked over. I, I ran in front of a, a, a very slow-moving car, right? It was just coming out of a, a junction when I was about 10, and I, I got knocked I got knocked over. Just a little bruise, nothing nothing bad. But when I got home, I told my mum what had happened. And she, she said, oh, you silly idiot or something like that. And I thought, I didn't do it on purpose. You know, so and that 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 sticks out for me because that was one of the I would say that was one of the few occasions when I didn't feel that she was empathetic towards me. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. So that that was like, oh, that's a bit different. You know, obviously she was frustrated or worried, concerned that you know getting myself into danger by not not being aware of traffic, and you know she's she's worried for me. But I thought, well, I didn't do it on purpose. So yeah, I'd say I probably can become closer to her since my dad died i see more of her and like I, I speak to her every day and just check in um she's not really into uh, she's in her 80s so it's a it's a slightly different generation it's not a very like i don't know whether you've kind of got this vibe or not you know so the british and we're known for our stiff upper lip Right, so you're you're American uh, Americans. Mass generalization here, sure. Damon. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. So, mass generalization. <laughs> I make it too, believe me. Sorry, I make that. I make these generalizations generalizations too. So please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, we we are a little bit more reserved. We don't talk about our feelings as much. Um, we didn't talk about adoption that that much. You know, very little. But it it, it was an issue. It didn't really need talking about. Simon was adopted in Liverpool. But within the last five years or so, he got his original birth certificate, which showed he was born 30 miles away over the border in Wales. He said it wasn't a big deal when he learned that fact, just kind of interesting to put the pieces together. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Simon has already said he didn't really have questions about his adoption. So I was curious to know what may have happened to make him realize what adoption truly meant in the formulation of his family and what was the catalyst for his search? So the catalyst for the search was sitting in a therapist's office, having the bejesus scared out of me by the idea of my birth mother rejecting me again. 
But where did that come? How did you get to that point? Take me back before you went to therapy. Yeah. How did you get to that point? So um, I hit 40, mm-hmm. right, 2007. And I found out that my teddy bear, the teddy bear I'd had from birth, had been given to me by my birth mother. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I didn't know that, that, I didn't know that it was from her. And my first reaction was one of curiosity. Uh, and then telling somebody about it a couple of months later, I had a, 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 an avalanche of, sorry, an avalanche, a volcano of, of anger came out of me. I was going through a tough time business-wise. So I was at a low ebb. And that, when I was at that low ebb, I can see this now. I can see it at the time. Uh, so I, so what I said was my birth, I, 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 there was lots of profanity, which I won't share because with, you know, it's a, uh, Family show. Um, my birth mother didn't, and there was a lot of venom behind my words. So I'm just, I'm just repeating the very matter of fact to you now. But so my, my, she didn't love me enough to keep me. What you know, this teddy bear is just a consolation prize. She gave me this effing consolation prize of the teddy bear. Yeah, and and the the lady that I was with said, "Well, I'm a, I'm a mum myself, as you know, and I don't think it was quite like that, Simon." And with that, the volcano ceased erupting straight away. So I had a very intense anger and uh, anger towards my birth mother. I'd never really thought about my birth mother. Well, not never really. I'd never thought about my birth mother. I'd never thought about her in a bad way. I'd never felt like this to her. But that's how I felt in in, in that moment. And so I, I thought maybe I had an issue to look at. Yeah. And also, but the bigger issue really was for, for me was was business. So I, I'd been working towards business, you know, been trying to make my business a success for quite a while. And when I finally got there, um, it was short lived, but <laughs> it, it was an, it was a hollow victory. Right? It didn't mean anything to me. So the, the meaning that the, the thing that was going through my and this was all around about the same time within a year. So I thought that you know basically business success hasn't made me happy. And adoption has made me sad, insecure, mm-hmm. low self-esteem, whatever, not good enough. That's yeah. it. But um, so that kind of set me off on a on a journey. So it's either uh, a um, a midlife crisis mm-hmm. <laughs> or a spiritual journey, you know, right, or right. doing the work, you know, depending you know, whichever which self-discovery, whichever you want to say. So I learned a lot of stuff, and um, I felt. I felt a lot better in myself. And a few years later, well, I read the prime. Uh, yeah. Before you get to the primal wound, I want you to just take me back for a moment. Cause you kind of glossed over what the therapist said to you. You're you. Oh, this was, this was later on. This was oh, later on. Oh, 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 okay. Gotcha. So you, you, so to let's recap for a quick moment. Then you have, been trying for a while to reach business success a long time and it sounds like as a result of that attempt your emotions were heightened as you were in this lower point of not having reached that success and so you it sounds like you were really in a place of self-examination in general what am i as a businessman what am i as a man what am i as a you know a person a human here and that self-examination it sounds like involved also thoughts about your own self-worth and as a result 
your your thoughts about your biological mother. Like this was not a thought process you'd had before, but it sounds like this all bubbled up at the same time. Is that roughly correct? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And it sounds like also then you had this teddy bear that you had been cherishing for a while, but then as you sort of got into this darker place of self-examination, you thought to yourself, this is just a piece of crap. Like this was just a, a farewell gift and it doesn't really mean anything to to me in that moment. Not, not quite. All my uh, animosity was turned in that split, like five seconds yeah. was turned towards my birth mother. Sure. Not, yeah. not, not the bear. So. Gotcha. So this is all preceding this sit down with this therapist. So in between that's your, uh, like what year years before, yeah. Yeah, so the, you've you've had this this moment of self-reflection that turned into a dark place and then it sounds like you said you read the primal wound. What happened then? You so tell me about reading the primal wound and what that meant to you. So I, I want to give you I want to just take the timeline back here. So sure. I was I was 40 when I found out the teddy bear was from a birth mom. I, I hit the business success when I was 41 and it didn't, and it was a hollow victory. I started searching. I started looking for myself probably, you know, around that, around that time. I did a lot of work and, and learned a lot of stuff and, and was a lot better in myself. So my life went from a seven out of 10 to a nine out of 10. Eight, eight years later, I read The Primal Wound and that took me back a step that took me down again. So my life had gone from a seven to a nine. It probably went to like an eight. And so I was looking to heal the primal wound until I realized that I wasn't actually wounded. And then that, that took my life to a nine and a half. Wow. That's fascinating. What was it that made you realize that you weren't wounded? Well, it's because of the, it, it's, it's because of who we truly are, right? So uh, there's a French guy. I use this quote all the time. I should learn how to pronounce his name. I did. I, I did French at school for like eight years, Damon. So I should know this. But, <laughs> yeah, you uh, should know how to pronounce this guy. It's, it, 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 it's called Pierre Dujardin or something. Pierre Dujardin. So let's just call him Pierre, right? Okay. He says that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Spiritual beings having a human experience. So. The, the feelings of insecurity, all people have, obviously, as adoptees, tend to have a little bit more, perhaps. All the, all the, uh, the thought that I'm good enough, which I know that pretty much everybody has as well, whether we're adopted or not, that's all in the human experience. And we're fixated by that human experience. And life is a contact sport. So that's where all the, the tricky stuff is. That's where all the trauma is. And that's where we're focused because it's really loud. We're really bought in. We're really invested in our thoughts and our feelings. And we don't really pay a lot of attention to the spiritual essence of who we are, the spiritual being. The spiritual being, spirit, is the opposite of material, right? Spiritual is the opposite of material, I think. I think it's one way of looking at it. So spirit isn't a, a thing. And because it's not a thing, it can't be wounded. So if you try and get a knife and stab air, you can't stab air because there's nothing there. There's nothing for it to land. So 
Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. The, what I think I've heard you say is basically because your spirit is a non-tangible object, you can't actually hurt it physically. You can't wound it. Yeah. Especially so, with something, you know, as physically detaching as adoption. I hear you. That's really fascinating. It's an interesting way to, to look at it. Thank so you. to me, there's, there's a difference between kind of like a, a neat concept and a, and a deep knowing. So I've, I've expressed this in a kind of logical, different, but logical, a neat little soundbite. But I get this in my soul, deep man. Like, as I'm saying this now and I'm slowing down, I can feel it. I've got an embodied understanding of this. So this this thing that we are, we, every single person on the planet, every single adoptee, we are fundamentally unwoundable. I like that. I like that. I wonder, though... But we will feel wounded. Oh, yeah. That was exactly what I was going to get to. So what is it, then, that adoptees feel when they, you know, suffer? We suffer, you know, mentally, among other suffering that may be inflicted upon us physically. But what what do you think it is, then, that so many adoptees are feeling? A disconnection with ourselves. Mm-hmm. How do you help folks reconnect, then? What do you suggest to people? Look within. You've got to see it for yourself. We have to see it for ourselves. I, I came up with something really cool to explain this. A, a couple of years ago, I was talking to my um, one of my wife's friends. She's not adopted, right? But I said to her, there's no such thing as a second-hand epiphany. Oh, that's interesting. We've got to have them for ourselves. That's so for me, there's no such thing as a second-hand Insight. There's no such thing as a second-hand aha moment. There's no such thing as a second-hand new idea. You've got to see it for yourself. And this isn't one of my metaphors. This is one from a, a mentor of mine. He, he says that we're, we're all born perfect, like a brilliant, priceless diamond. And then we go through life and poop happens to us, mm-hmm. such as for us. You know, we get relinquished. Other people, you know, and people go through extreme poop. So the most Im- the, the most important mentor in my life, she was raped by her dad. Mm. She was sexually abused by her dad, right? So poop happens. We feel like poop. We have poopy thoughts. And over time, we get that the diamond is obscured in layers and layers and layers of poop. And we lose sight of the perfection that we are. And as adoptees, we've got a really good reason to believe that we are poop because we weren't good enough. This is sacred stuff. You know, mothers giving away babies. There's got to be something wrong with me. Yeah, I've got to be poop. We, so the, the disconnection with ourselves is losing sight of the diamond. It is uh, focusing on the 
human experience rather than the spiritual being that we are. So I'm trying to connect the, the dots on, on the different things that I'm talking about. Um, so is this no, no. making any Yeah, no, it makes sense. absolute sense. Yeah, for sure. It's fascinating, and I, and I can appreciate where you're coming from in terms of having done this introspection to think these things through, absorb what mentors have told you, and sort of synthesize it into your your own understanding of what this means for both you and for you know the human experience. This is it's fascinating to hear how you've arrived at this stuff. I do a lot of work on this stuff, my friend. So let's go back sort of into your story for a moment. I do want to hear about the therapy session where you're having the bejesus scared out of you by this therapist and and this person basically talks you down from your thoughts about what this teddy bear means to you. So can you explain how that session went and what this therapist said to you that changed your mind? Yeah. So the the teddy bear tale is when I'm four was when I was 40. Sure. Okay. The therapist session is is eight years later oh, I see. after reading the primal wound and, and believing that I'm wounded and therefore needing to heal before I've got to the realization that I'm talking about now. Mm-hmm. So I'm sat in the therapist chair. I had or uh, about six months before that session, I'd got my original birth certificate with my birth mother's name on it. And I had not gone any further and not decided to, to to search her out. So I'm talking to the therapist, presumably about birth search, because this is six years ago now, right? She's asking me about why I've not searched. And then the idea of her, Pat, being outside the therapist's room pops into my head. And I imagine myself opening the door and her rejecting me again. And so I get angry, then I get scared, then I get very determined that I'm not going to let this fear ruin my life, harm me, hold me back. And I decided in that moment to resume the search. In the UK, Simon had to engage an intermediary who initiated a search for his adoption file. When he received it, Simon found letters from his birth mother to the agency about planning to place him. There were notes from his social worker documenting the process and what his birth mother conveyed about her situation. At the time of her pregnancy, she was going out with a guy for five months, told him she was pregnant, and he told her he didn't want anything to do with the child. His birth mother made the decision to place Simon via adoption. In the documents was a unique letter. Then there's this letter from her to the agency four days after she has handed me over at the adoption agency council saying that she wanted, she had wanted me to have something from her. She'd wanted to stop on the way to the agency and buy a teddy bear to give me, but the traffic was bad and she didn't want to be late. Would the woman that runs the council, the agency, the social worker, would she contact my parents and ask them if they would accept a bear, teddy bear, 
from her if she was to buy one. And in that moment, I, I remember it like it got shivers down my spines in a in a good way as I tell you the story. The tears just streamed down me, and I felt her love for me, and also her desperation in her predicament from the wording of the letter. She was clearly in a very low place. Some of the wording was very, you know, it was very disempowered. It was clearly, you know, it was begging. It was almost begging. And I and I saw the eight years previously, for five seconds, I had said, my mother, she didn't love me enough to keep me. What sort of effing consolation prize is this teddy bear when she wouldn't love me? Something like that. She didn't love me enough to keep me. Eight years later, reading this letter that she never thought I would see, you know, like, <laughs> you were so far off there, Si. <laughs> you know, that, that was pure fiction. You made up that horror story. You made up that horror story for five seconds. And, and, and Sarah, the lady that said, I don't think it was quite like that, was a thousand percent true. Yeah, this is one of the challenges that we have inside of our own heads, the narrative that we create as to what has transpired, why it transpired, how the person felt about us when it happened. And you can't help it because you don't your brain doesn't have anything to go on. So you create something to attach to. And some people create fantasies that are, you know, fairy tales and rainbows and, and they're positive and others create narratives that are more negative and it can depend on where you are in your life as you've indicated you were in a place that already had some self-worth questioning happening already and so to be in contemplation of yourself as an adoptee at the same time you could see how you couldn't necessarily create the rainbows scenario at a time when you were also feeling not so hot about business success or the hollowness of it or what have you so it's really it's interesting to hear how you're mentality evolved over those eight years into recognizing, especially by view of the letter, recognizing where she was, what she was saying, how she felt, and, and interpreting it from the words she used and, and 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 extracting her disempowerment from the content of the letter. It's really interesting. I think that's a great summation of it. Simon enlisted a freelance researcher, not an adoption search angel, to help look for his birth mother. As they searched for clues, they found a notice of a woman's death on a church website. Her name was Patricia, Simon's birth mother's name, from his original birth certificate. The note of remembrance about Patricia was written by a second woman named Beverly. Simon wrote a letter to Beverly to introduce himself and to try to learn more. He didn't get any reply. And then I got a, I got a letter from... Um, about nine months later, I got a letter from from Canada. And it said that it was from another guy, probably won't mention his, his name. And it, he, he, he said that he, he said that um, I was, I was right. Patricia was my birth mother. And she, unfortunately, she died. 2005, I think I can't remember exactly, but a long time before I ever went searching. What what year was your search, roughly? 
My search was probably 2015-ish. So roughly 10 years prior. And what was this gentleman's relation to your biological mother that he would... She was his... Sorry, he was her brother. I see. So if I'm hearing... And he'd been cleaning... He'd gone to Beverly's house to clear the house after she died and found the letter. So there was three siblings. Patricia, my birth mother. Beverly, her sister, and this other guy, whose name I'm not going to say. I see. So your mother passed in 2005. Her sister places a eulogy or some sort of death announcement on a church website, which Something like that. later found with a person who, uh, a volunteer searcher. Yeah. And you reach out to the author of that notice. Correct. Who was your birth mother's sister. Correct. And you didn't hear anything back from that woman. Because she died. Oh, the sister of your birth The sister had died as well. The sister, oh. both, both sisters had died. Sorry. I see. So this third individual was the two deceased sister's brother. He had now Correct. gone to her house. To clear the... clearing the out her, the second sister, your aunt. He was clearing Correct. her home and found your letter. Bingo. I got you. And then he wrote back to you in response yeah. to the letter that you had written to your birth aunt. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. Wow. How long, if you don't mind me, just for clarity. Yeah, sure. How long was the time period between when you wrote your letter to your biological aunt and the response that came from your biological uncle? Roughly. I think it was about nine months. It, it could have been six months. It could have been 15. But yeah, yeah. so more a yearish. And did you, in that time, think, man, she didn't write me back. I should write her another letter or I should try to call or like what, what else happened in your search? No, I didn't. I, I wasn't. Uh, I, 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 no, I wasn't going to do anything else. For me, the, so I, I'd done a lot of, as I've explained, I've done a lot of healing and, and work and that has been mainly in in internal and there's not a lot really uh, the letter is is very easy an easy thing to for people to grasp and people say well it's all about the letter well my um self-discovery had a number of chapters the 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 letter is is a big obvious chapter i'd i i was pretty much I, I was at, at peace by then. Writing the letter had been so 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 the the letter and the connection, the love, the love that I I'd felt my birth mother's love for me in a letter that she'd written forty eight years before. It was visceral. It was a visceral experience. Her, her love. So search for her was not potent. It wasn't. It, it, it was like, it wasn't, I've got to find her or else, you know, it was just like, well, I've, I, I've come this far. Let's go. Let's keep going. And, and then when they didn't get a response, right, I thought, well, maybe, maybe she wasn't the right person or, you know, like I, I didn't have any other avenues, but I wasn't particularly bothered. And I'm a really persistent guy. So if I'm not being persistent, then I know I'm not really bothered. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when something matters to me, yes. I'm a dog with a bone, right? So I'm a dog with a bone, and and that this search was not a bone. 
Sure. Do you remember having any feelings at all when you read this announcement of your birth mother's passing? No, I can't because I wasn't sure it was her really. So, and then when I found out that it, I, I was like, that's sad, but I, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't have the kind of the emotional uh, reaction that I had when I, when I read the letter, you the letter was, the, the, the letter was the massive, was massive. And, but there have been a series of massive things, but me telling you about those massive things, they, they don't just doesn't mean anything. It's just like a, a change that's happened in my head. Sure. I wondered about Simon's search for his birth father. At the time we spoke, Simon had written to a guy that he thought could be the man, but Simon made sure I knew that the search was never about finding this guy. I think because for 40 years, I'd never had an issue with my mum, birth mum. And then, then I did. And, okay, I did some jiggling around and did some research. and da, 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 da. Um, But oh, the, there is one thing. There is one thing that, you know, from, from the letter, well, clearly he didn't want anything to do with the baby before it was me, you know. So not like, you didn't let him want me, no, 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 no. I'm not going to, not like that, but it's just like, well. I, and also I, I, the other thing was, uh, Damon, I, it was like, well, I wonder what I would have done. I wonder what I would have done. I don't think I would have been like him, but who knows? I mean, the, one other thing was, like, abortion wasn't legalized in the UK till 1967, and I was born on the 4th of January 1967. So when I was conceived, it wasn't, abortion wasn't lawful. So she didn't have an option. Mm. She didn't have, so she didn't have that option. But I wondered, you know, like, because, you know, what would I have done if I'd got, a, I, can, I can think of girls, if I'd got a girl pregnant, I can think of, you know, like relationships I've had. Um, what would I have done? Yeah. yeah. It's impossible to contemplate. It really is. Because you never know until the, or you can't predict what situation you are in at the moment that you hear that, you know, a woman you're with is pregnant. You can't predict sort of what kind of person you were in that moment. Not, so life situation as well as your own sort of maturity and advancement. There's so many factors that determine how a person makes a decision in a situation for better or for worse. We all would like to think we would make the best possible, most positive, you know, mature decision ever. And it's just not so in certain situations. And we can all look back in our lives and acknowledge that we, you know, we made some poor choices and, and that was a result of immaturity, among other things, lack of experience, what have you. So it's impossible to try to predict that stuff. Simon works to support other adoptees in the UK. He runs a podcast called Thriving Adoptees, where he brings together members of the adoption constellation. We chatted a bit about his work and our perspectives on the prevailing adoption narratives. It's sharing different perspectives to help other people on there hopefully help people on their learning, stroke, healing journeys. Um, and I'm also doing some, you know, I'm doing some speaking on this as well. The thing for, for me is that there's this, there's this trauma obsession and there's this primal wound obsession. And as I've already said, I, I believe that we're fundamentally unwoundable. 
I'm not trying to change that because I think the the two dominant narratives are completely wrong. Both the rainbow and unicorn one and the all adoptees are primarily wounded one. I think both of those are completely wrong. I agree. I agree. But I also think we have to acknowledge that everybody comes from different places of different strength and endurance, right? Mentally, physically, whatever it is. Yeah. And there are people who are not able to sort of separate themselves from their experiences. And it could be adoption. It could be other things. And it makes it incredibly difficult to carry on when you continue carrying the burden of experiences that have happened to you in the past. I think there's an important growth process in turning, facing what has happened to you in the past, acknowledging it, dealing with it, and then carrying on with yourself as a person, continuing to grow. And and I, I'm always fearful for those who carry trauma when I feel like it should be something that you can acknowledge but not like carry right in in front with you do you know what i'm saying it's part of your history but i want people to be able to sort of acknowledge it and continue to grow and move forward and i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done by folks to get to that place does what i said make sense yeah perfect sense like so so the truth is damon i've had an easy ride pal i've had a i've had an easy ride Mm -hmm. and I kind of know that, but what I, as I said earlier on, the most important, my most important mentor, Liz, she had the toughest thing. I mean, the you know, like if you, uh, being sexually abused by your dad, you know, if you're going to play, if you're going to play some sort of sick game of who's had its toughest, that's got to uh, be pretty close to the top. That's got to be a winning hand. If she can come through that. She wanted. I, I, I say this on sometimes on my podcast because I'm I'm aware that you know, like I've had it easy. So she's she's the proof that people that are dealt far tougher hands can come through it. Yep. Uh, and you know, she wanted to be adopted because she's been abused in every way possible by her dad. And her dad was also abusing, uh, you know, a mum, and, and just like if she can get through that, and 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 she had her stuff, but then she had, she had the you know like the aha moment, the epiphany moment there, um, and 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 now in, inspires other people, including me. So I put I put a note on a, put a post on a. Adoptive Facebook group, and I said, you know, adoption is something that's ha- that happened to us. It doesn't define us. And I got like 120 likes, 30 loves, and 10 vitriolic "how dare yous." So everybody's at a different point. Everybody's got a different story, but we aren't our story. And I think for me, you know, you were talking about this earlier on, and I heard a really great really great way of summing this up i heard it from somebody else uh, we think the voice in our head 
is CNN when really it's the comedy channel. <laughs> That's a good one. That's pretty funny. It's not it's not factual. It's made up and it's almost it could come with a disclaimer for entertainment purposes only, right? Yeah. Because until you get facts for the things that happened to you, you're creating a fictional story. So I'm with you 100%. Wow. Well, Simon, thank you so much for taking time, man. This has been really fascinating to hear your story and your journey of self-growth. Self-growth. I think that is the powerful piece that I take from what you've said today is that you've really done some introspection to figure out sort of who you are physically, spiritually, mentally. And and I'm glad that you're helping other adoptees through their own journeys. That's really awesome. Well done. Yeah, thank you. And you know, I I, I want to bring your adoptive parents on on this as well because they are being fed the 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 trauma obsession as well. They're being fed, and it, it's putting them off. It's putting them off. And you know, I continue to do the I, I continue to do the introspection stuff. I consume audio, uh, audios and podcasts a couple of hours a day when I'm walking the dog and um, and when I'm driving in the car. You know, I, I'm I I know that I I know that that I still listen to that voice in my head and think it's CNN sometimes, mm -hmm. like a lot of the time. So I was, I'm not the finished article. Work in progress. Work in progress. I love it, man. Thanks so much for being with me today, Simon. I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, take care. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me. Simon admitted he's had it easy, but he said that from a place of a lot of introspection and working on himself. You heard Simon say that he had been to therapy. He has mentors who've also been through adversity. And he shared how much he spent time working on himself, listening to podcasts, and thinking about his feelings. I loved hearing the story of the teddy bear that he had as a kid but didn't realize its significance, tried to hate the toy for the consolation prize he perceived it to be, then came to cherish it once he read his birth mother's letter expressing her desperate situation. This is the challenge of adopted people who live with no facts about our origin. We're forced to create false narratives that lead us to unfounded anger, and sometimes, when we find the truth, it can be such a relief to understand why we were placed for adoption and realize how wrong our false assumptions were. It doesn't always work out that way, but for Simon, it did. Take a moment to find the Adoptees Thriving podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and look out for Simon's work bringing adoptees together in support of one another. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you've found something in Simon's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
it would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.